march to the Battle of New Orleans at the end of the early British War. The young land started growing, the young blood started flowing, but I ain't a marching anymore. For I killed my share of engines in a thousand different fights. I was there at the little big horn. I heard many men lying, I saw many more dying, but I ain't a marching anymore. It's always the old to lead us to the wars, always the young to fall. Now look at all we want with a saber and the gun. Tell me, is it worth it all? For I stole California from the Mexican land Fought in the bloody Civil War Yes, I even killed my brothers and so many others But I ain't a-marching anymore For I marched to the battles of the German Trench In a war that was bound to end all wars Oh, I must have killed a million men And now they want me back again But I ain't a-marching anymore It's always the old to lead us to the wars Always the young to fall Now look at all we've won with a saber and the gun Tell me, is it worth it all? For I flew the final mission in the Japanese sky Set off the mighty mushroom roar When I saw the cities burning I knew that I was learning That I ain't marching anymore Now the labor leaders screaming When they close the missile plant United Fruit screams at the Cuban shore Call it peace or call it treason Call it love or call it reason But I ain't marching anymore And that song by our wonderful brother Phil Oaks is going out today to every soldier in the Ukraine and Russia and America, anywhere else where strangers tell us to kill strangers. And it's also going out today to anyone serving our tyrannical blood-soaked system with the same simple message that's sent out to every soldier in every battle, do not kill, desert, go home. That's how to end wars. That's how revolutions begin, when the soldiers say no. And when all of us say no to death and yes to life with our bodies. This is Here We Stand. I'm Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. It's February 12th. And our show today is an interview I did with Sarah Westall on my birthday last Friday. But we're going to kick off because of the war hysteria building all over the world with a simple remembrance before we hear that interview. A remembrance that we stop any evil with our bodies, not with words. Words are a spark to action, but it all comes down to what we do with our bodies. And I remembered uh, that beautiful insight from a fellow called Mario Savio. He was uh, one of the leaders of the Berkeley Free Speech Movement in 1962, and of course he was very involved in the anti-war movement, as was Phil Oakes, who sang to us today. And Mario Savio said this in 1962, there's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part in it anymore. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies on the gears and on the wheels, on the levers of that machine, on its whole apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. You've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that from now on their machine is prevented from working at all. 
Well, actions, not words, make history. Words can be a spark to action. That's our purpose today on on every show where we're prodding people into action. Because not ultimately it's by what we say, but what our bodies do. That change happens. And I remember I used to say that to my congregations. I remember once in the sermon in Port Alberni before the axe came down on me, I compared God to a big set of eyes. And it doesn't have to be just God. Maybe it's posterity. Maybe it's the fallen among us. Maybe it's those who are suffering by our indifference or at our hands. But they're really like a pair of eyes watching us. They don't hear what we say because words are cheap and everyone can spout the words. They're a pair of eyes. All they can do is see what we do. I remember uh, that saying from Francis of Assisi when he said, preach the Gospels, use, use words if you must. Or in my words, you have to place your body between the killers and their little victims, or nothing matters. Well, that's what we've been doing year after year with our sit-ins, our occupations, our reclamations. It's what forced change, not words. In Canada, it's when we occupied churches. That's when the change happened. Those actions are happening again this week. If you follow murderbydecree.com, go to ITCCS updates to the January January 31st schedule of actions. And also at republicofcanada.org, under breaking news, you can see what we're doing, especially remembrance of our fallen heroes like William Coombs on February 26th. Unfortunately, many of us can't act because our hearts and minds are dissociated from our actions. It's like people are frozen. They can't act on what they know is right. And that creeping group death is touching all of us now. Well, I wanted to share some words before we go into the show that will touch your heart and hopefully move, help move your bodies away from death. They come from a book called All Quiet on the Western Front. It was by a German writer, Eric Maria Remarque, who was a World War I German veteran. And interestingly, it was the first book ever ordered burned by Adolf Hitler when he came to power because darkness fears the light. It's one of the most beautiful anti-war novels ever written. It's a story of a German soldier, a lot like the man who saved my grandfather Ross Annett's life at age 19 in the trenches of Vimy Ridge in 1917. It's, he, uh, the character is, finds himself in a shell hole with a French soldier, the so-called enemy, and he automatically, instinctively bayonets the French soldier. And then he sits there with him, and these are his words, This is the first time I have killed a man with my hands, one I can see up close, one whose death is my doing. It happens to many in hand-to-hand fighting especially, but every gasp of the man in front of me lays my heart bare. In the afternoon, about three, he dies in front of me. I breathe freely again, but only for a short time. Soon the silence is more unbearable than his groans were. I wish his gurgling were there again, the gasping and hoarse noise. It is mad what I do, but I must do something. I prop the dead man up again so that he lies comfortably, although he feels nothing anymore. I close his eyes. They are brown. His hair is black and a bit curly at the sides. For a moment, his face seems almost healthy. Then it collapses suddenly into the strange face of the dead that I've so often seen, strange faces all alike. He, he wears a wedding ring. No doubt, His wife still thinks of him. She does not know what has happened to him. He looks as if he would have written to her. She will still be getting mail from him, and she'll think he is alive. This man I killed might have had 30 more years of life if only I had made my way back to our trench more quickly. If only he had run two yards further to the left, he might now be sitting in the trench over there and writing a fresh letter to his wife. 
the silence spreads. I must talk, say something. So I speak to the dead man, and I say to him, Comrade, I did not want to kill you. If you jumped in here again, I would not do it. But you were only an idea to me before, an abstraction that lived in my mind and called forth its appropriate response. It was that abstraction I stabbed. But now for the first time, I see you are a man like me. I thought of your hand grenades, of your bayonet, of your rifle. Now I see your wife and your face and our fellowship. Forgive me, comrade. We always, we always see it too late. Why do they never tell us that you are poor devils like us, that your mothers are just as anxious as ours, and that we have the same fear of death and the same dying and the same agony? Forgive me, comrade. How could you be my enemy? If we threw away these rifles and this uniform, you could be my brother, just like Kat and Albert. Take 20 years of my life, comrade, and stand up again. Take more of my life, for I do not know what I can even attempt to do now. His his tunic is half open. His pocketbook is easy to find, but I hesitate to open it. In it is the book with his name. So long as I do not know his name, perhaps I might still forget him. Time will obliterate it, this face. But his name, it is a nail that will be hammered into me and never come out again. It has the power to recall this forever. It will always come back and stand before me. Some pictures and letters drop out. There are photos of a woman and a little girl, small amateur photographs taken against an ivy-clad wall. I look at the pictures carefully. They are clearly not rich people. I might write to them and send them money. I seize upon that. Is it at least something I can do for him? For this dead man is bound with, up with my life now. So I open the book and I read slowly. Gerard Duval, compositor. I have killed the printer, Gerard Duval. Well, that beautiful passage, you know, whenever I read it, I teared up just like now, but... Um, he names the man, and the naming liberates something. It's like in an exorcism. You name it, and the possessed person is freed. And it's that higher value in us, that seed within us, by naming the, our complicity in the blood, the blood on our hands, either directly or passively. It's only when we name that that we gain power over our lives again. And so today's show is going to be talking about how we do that. It's about how we have to own ourselves first before we can take responsibility for the world to change it. And that's why so many people don't bother, because we haven't taken responsibility, as that German soldier had to do for what he had done. What we do all the time by our passivity, by our complicity, by turning away from what needs to be done. So let's remember that today, friends. Meryl Savio's words, you have to put your body on on the machine to stop it. You have to pull the levers and stop the apparatus from killing anymore, like we've done with our church occupations, like we're doing this month on our campaign. That's the purpose of today's show. Remember to write to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com, MurderByDecree.com, RepublicOfCanada.org. And when I said these words, one of the reasons I was tearing up is I remember my brother, William Coombs, who gave his life to stop the genocide against all of our people and to bring out the truth of the mass murder by the Catholic, Anglican, United Churches, the Crown of England, the Vatican, the Government of Canada, all those children still on the ground, like those soldiers killed at our hands with our tax money. William died for that. He paid the ultimate price. We have to remember him. And so I hope you're all out there, February 26th on Sunday.
in Vancouver outside St. Paul's Hospital at 11 a.m., but also around the world on that date to mark it, to say we will not go into the night. We will not be part of this war machine anymore that murders the innocent. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. I hope you appreciate the show today. And again, write to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com. We're expecting a lot from each one of you to turn words into actions. Thank you. Hi, Kevin. I'm so glad I get the Kevin, the great Kevin Annette on his birthday coming back to the show. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with all of you on my birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're we're all getting older is what the that uh, show says, or that song says, we're all getting older and our children are going, getting older too. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Yeah. That means it you're is. wiser. Yeah. You're wiser and more, you know more about the world. But in, And knowing about the world, you have a lot of things to share with us. And especially, let's, let's start on a positive note. Um, it's the anniversary of many things for you. So let's talk about what, some things that you're doing. And then I also want to get into... What's happening behind the scenes? Because the media is very controlled right now, and it's just some of the independent media that are talking about things. But there, most of those people are more just trying to get after salacious content or get clicks and stuff. And so nobody's really covering some of the hardcore stuff that's going on behind the scenes. So I want to talk about some of that as well. But let's start with your anniversary of a bunch of things that have happened this month. All the, this month is a big month for you. It is. Uh, not just because I turned 67. It's still good to be here. Yes. Um, if you look behind me, there's a pink poster. That was an event we held 25 years ago yesterday. And it really launched our whole campaign to expose genocide in Canada. And it was held downtown Vancouver. And for the first time, Native people showed up and started talking about these horrible crimes, murders they witnessed. And it was springboard to everything we, we did after 25 years ago, right? But 10 years ago tomorrow is, if folks recall, the date that Joseph Ratzinger, so-called Pope Benedict, stepped down after directly in result of our International Common Law Court of Justice. And uh, that also is a very historic thing. The last 10 years, is, it's been like a tsunami building, all this exposure, um, you know, in cases against the Vatican building all over. So, I mean, you know, we, we remember those great moments. Also, this is the month that they murdered William Coombs in the hospital on February 26th. We're going to be holding uh, actions at the hospital where he was killed by lethal injection um, after he had witnessed Queen Elizabeth take those children, you know, and never come back again. Yeah. Um, and so there's all over the world, you know, I'm getting not only happy birthday greetings, but people saying, you know, we're going to be out there on that Sunday. We want to remember William and, and uh, you know, keep that memory alive. So, I mean, that's why it's, it's close to my heart this month, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big month for you. I remember, you know, when we first met, this was quite a long time ago now that we first started talking, but even before we first started talking, you were really, um, you're highly respected, but you were actually more able to penetrate into the mainstream and you were getting, uh, you know, you were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize three times and you were just the main, some of the mainstream academics were really noticing you and really putting your, what, I know you didn't change, but what changed? Cause the world is so different now. It's suddenly like, cause when I started 
interviewing, I was interviewing some amazing people that I thought were amazing, but now they won't, those kind of people are too afraid to talk to people like me. So what happened? I mean, how did I, things are markedly different from 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could say the fear quotient is being ramped up in a huge way. I mean, you see this all the time. You know, they they hit, especially in America, you can see this, like the panic about the weather, um, you know, not just the, the whole COVID scare. Now then the, the whole war scare going on, it's just, you know, it's such a higher rate when people are caught up in that kind of fear. They don't remember. They don't think it's possible to do anything. And so... Um, there's that factor, but I mean, there's the other one that, you know, with the technology now, you can eradicate somebody's memory and all the evidence very easily, much more than you could before. I remember, you know, when we started this campaign 25 years ago, when, it, when the smear campaign started on me, it took probably two or three years to have an effect. Now you have an effect in a week because everyone's mind is focused right on this technology and there's, it's a source of knowledge, information, communication, everything for them. And and so it's it's a liability. It's it's a, it's a great benefit in a way, but it's also a real liability because the mind can be controlled much more easily now. That's right. As long as people depend on this, right? Um, so I mean, there's there's all that. Um, also, you know, Sarah, let's be honest. I mean, like murdered children is not exactly a topic people want to remember. <laughs> I'm not you laughing because it's funny, but it's right, absolutely no, true. Um, you know, it's easier to get involved in a campaign that's not going to touch you. You know. It's the issue's got to be thousands of miles away, and then you can get in sense. But the closer it gets to home, people, their their backs go up, and they go, wait a minute, you know, I mean, I might be at risk. So there's that element, too. But, you know, I'm actually amazed how much of what we've done has survived. You see references to it all over, even though about probably 90% of it has been wiped off the Internet. It's still out there, right? It is still out there, and a lot of my work has been wiped off the Internet as well. Yeah. And, and so, but, but the climate, the atmosphere is so different. I remember when I was in college, I could tell if I got a new position somewhere or an offer, I wasn't afraid to tell uh, administration where I was thinking of working. But today, you know, my daughter and her friends, they won't share the companies that they got offers with because they are afraid that people are going to look at them differently. And I know, and I, and I, that kind of, those kind of thoughts would never have crossed our mind back then. And they're afraid to, there's so many things they're afraid to talk about naturally and instinctively that we didn't instinctively, we just weren't afraid to do. You know what it reminds me of, Sarah, Um, the eighties. Do you remember after that, that great time in the sixties and seventies where I grew up in, people felt we could change the world. Like there's such confidence and hope. And then the Reagan-Thatcher era comes along in the 80s, and there's a threat of nuclear, quote, nuclear war. Uh, and it was a way to, to bring in the fear element again, to wipe out that, that period of hope and, and, and change all over the place, right? And I don't think it's accidental. They're just using the same old script. Like now, they're even talking about winnable nuclear wars. Like what oh, to no, do if you're, if you're attacked? There's there's no such thing as a nuclear war. It'll take just under an hour, and then the 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 globe will be exterminated from nuclear winter and all that. You can't win a nuclear war, but they're trotting out the scenario like history. It's very did, serious that you can win it. Right? I know. I mean, it's absurd, but it they're not going to do it. I doubt that they would do it, but they need people. Maybe I don't know. These people are well. They need people afraid. And and don't forget, like George Orwell said in 1984, 
a war is never against an external enemy. It's a war of rulers against their own people to That's keep true. them controlled. That's the purpose of war, not to attack an enemy. It's it's like lawyers don't fight each other in court. They just pretend to, right? Like national leaders. Well, some do, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, know. They, they play the game. The people know how to play the game and, and create the appearance of conflict for their own benefit, right? Well, it seems that there are good people that are serious about trying to win in court, but so many of them don't care. They're just there to make money. And we've gotten to a point where they, they're able to detach themselves for things, from things that matter in order for them to just operate to make money. And I, it's really quite crazy. But when you look at the Thatcher era, there wasn't really a difference. But the people that grew up in the 60s and 70s are the ones that really ushered in this nightmare that we're in. And the kids that were born in the 70s now are trying to change that or they're too brainwashed to be able to change that. But it's the baby boomers that ushered this nightmare in. And so what is the deal with that? They had all this hope and change, and then they went in and then created this nightmare. Well, you know, after World War II, the world had a chance to set aside all that. Um, You know, Russia and America could have buried the hatchet and worked out a way to to live together. But don't forget, you know, if you look at a statistic uh, in the American budget in the 1950s, only one third of the budget was for military. During the Korean war, it shot up to two thirds and it's never come down. It's like we, America became a permanent war economy and though, you know, billion dollar a day industry, of course you need the war hyped up because it keeps the industry and the jobs going. And, and it was in a way that simple. Um, but, I mean, it's it's also that it's hard for people when they're locked in a system to really challenge it and change. I mean, it's that was the, the dilemma of us when we began to do the, all these campaigns, that people are willing to change to a certain bit, but they, they're they still governed by those conservative fear-based impulses, right? Well, and I, yeah, I, I, I can see that. And there are organizations out there trying to get people to look at alternatives besides having this huge war economy. We can start looking towards space exploration. We can start thinking, doing, investing our money in other areas that can be massive industries that are beneficial for humanity instead of, you know, that takes us down and destroys us, whether it's big pharma or, um, you know, the war military, we can invest in other industries like exploring space and all these. There are some really good opportunities and they just refuse to do that. Why? Well, for one thing, the politicians, there's not a big enough lobby. Who's got the big lobby in Washington? <laughs> yeah. The, the arms industry. It's not so much the NRA, but but the arms industry as a whole, plus big pharma. They're the ones who own the politicians. Um, you know, I mean, it's... It, I, again, I think it's it's really life is much simpler than we're made to think it is, right? Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, but I mean, people on the ground—you put anyone together from anyone er, anywhere in the world, and they'll get along. You know, that's it's true. The, nationalism and religion—they're—they're they're the the sicknesses of mankind because it keeps everyone at each other's throats, right? Well, and I think that. Well, I think that we've gotten to a point where we have created this illusion of left and right. And, and I think when you, like you said, when you could just get people together, they're able to rationalize some of this stuff. 
And but there right now we have two in the United States, we have two parties and the Democrat Party, which was always for anti big company and well, not always in the recent era, there were because ba- if you get back to the early 1900s, the parties change over time. Oh, but yeah. in the in the decades I grew up in, they were anti big business, anti war for free speech. I mean, they were for a lot of really great things for the little guy. Now mm-hmm. they're like they flipped a switch and now they're pro war. They're against free speech. They're they claim to still be for the worker because it's, you know, but they're not. And there's so many obvious um, examples of it. And they also vote in a block. Like they don't stray at all. Uh, you know, they, they cannot stray. There's no way you can vote, right. vote in a block and, and be a real politician for the people. It's all well, BS. I so think what that, happened you know, there? Now we can talk about the Republican Party too. I have a lot I can talk about there, yeah. just as much with the Democrats. But the Democrats have like completely went off the rails. Well, I don't think things are divided this way anymore. You know, parties. It's more like this horizontal dividing. In any movement, you've got you know the the the, the tyrannical aspect and then the liberation aspect, right? Yes. And yep. you need to unite Americans on a new basis, neither Democrat nor Republican, but getting out down back to the foundational principles. That's right. Governance and liberty and people owning their own courts and government and operating locally the way the, the, the country grew up, right? Before the big concentration of wealth, which came in after the Civil War and, and changed the Republican Party from the party of Lincoln, the anti-slave, little guy, farmer-based, you know, American party to the party of big money. And we got to get away from that, that tyranny. But what happened? And, okay, and so the part. I agree yeah. with you. And what happened? Like the Republican Party kind of was a party of big money, but now there's like that split in half. There, right. the 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 people who are absolute who are more what you're talking about. There's a faction that's growing in the Republican Party that right. wants freedom, wants that stuff, and then there's another faction that are that are deep state that are completely aligned with the Democrats, and it's all this big illusion and people have to remember they have to look at what they actually do in their actions and their voting actions and so and there's probably good people who are democrats but it doesn't seem that way because they're so controlled on their voting block so all we have with the republican party is a small group of rogue people who are trying to do something and that's it otherwise everyone else is controlled well that's why i think we need a new definition of, of politics in america and, you know, get together all those good money people, forget the party labels and draft out a new program for America. That's right. And unite people at the grassroots, you know. Um, Bernie Sanders talked about doing that. Then he got sucked in and bought off by the Democratic machine. But, you know, if he and, and his counterpart in the Republican side have forged a third party, like in America, in around the turn of the century, 1900, there was this big movement called the Populist Party. It united urban workers and farmers they ran a guy called Eugene Debs, who was arrested. He was he ran for president inside the a prison, and he got three million votes. And these this was a people's party, like the scent of what you get in the Republican Party now. Return to that grassroots populist American movement, and that's what we need. That's what alternative do we that's have? That's right. That's what we need. And we have people like Naomi Wolf, who is yeah. always hardcore Democrat. We have Cynthia McKenney, who is always way over there. Um, uniting with people like, I mean, I don't know, Steve Bannon and things. And, and so we're seeing that there is this 
united umbrella of exactly what you're talking about of people going, wait a minute, this is, we, we have more in common here. Let's get right. to what makes us in common and let's fight for it. But they're all, anybody who decides they're going to be part of that now become a far right nut job or a whack job or whatever. And the media completely smears them. Right. How do we No, that's, we're used to that. You're used to that. I'm used to that by now, unfortunately, but how do we, change that it's like the overtone tone window right overtone window we have to change what what people are is acceptable to people and take that power back well i find the best way to do that sarah is the good old-fashioned face-to-face community organizing methods uh not over the internet the best success we've ever had is when we sat down with people in the communities like we do in the republic of canada um we just go into the communities sign people up educate them, get them to define what they want in their communities, pass their own laws. And that's how you build, reclaim the Republic in America, build a Republic in Canada. Right. Um, I, I, and with the Chinese threat as well, this is all the more reason to do it. We've got to unite or we're finished on this continent. That's exactly right. I've been talking about uniting uh, at nauseum lately and people, there's a, there's quite a bit of, I have another show coming up that is on, uh, you know, sovereignty and exactly what you're doing with the Republic yeah. of Canada. But I, I get very frustrated with these groups because they're all at each other's throats. They all think oh, they yeah. know what's best. They're, it's just a big joke. I'm like, you guys, if you don't unite, you might as well just not do anything because all you do is not participating, at least trying to change what we do have, which is terrible. You're just messing around and sucking people away from that. If you don't unite, you're not going to get anything accomplished. Well, do you remember that uh, HBO series, John Adams? Uh, great yes yes Um, they had that flag of the early republic and it showed a snake in all these parts and it said unite or die and they were talking about the 13 states and they knew okay they were divided by the whole slavery issue and that but they realized we've got to unite or there is no future for america right that's what the declaration of independence was all about right we got to do the same now not get caught up in all this the differences but see the bigger picture that we're facing a tyranny that the world has never known, the corporatocracy led by China, funded by the Vatican. It's all obvious now. It's just a matter of creating the alternative where we still can, right? Okay, well, let me, let me, let's talk about the World Economic Forum versus China. Um, how much is the World Economic Forum leading it versus China, and are they against each other? Or is it the same thing? It's hard to say. You know, I mean, I get a sense of that when you look on the ground at the results of things. Um, don't forget when you're looking on the quote mainstream corporate media, yeah, yeah, they're just showing what they want you to see. They're manipulating. Right. It's all about psychopathy and controlling people's ideas and everything. But ultimately, you know, I think the global economy is going through a huge shift, but it's in a very unstable way because it's being. I talk about this in my. Uh, I wrote a biography called Memoirs of a Revolutionary, and I took a look at the last fifty years of how the world economy has changed. Basically, what you got now is that it's a lot more unstable because it's so concentrated. The, the wealth is so concentrated, and it's all based in the East. Three-quarters of the wealth and the economic growth is happening in the Indo-Pacific area in the East, and that's Europe and North America going down. That's why the Vatican money is going to China, right? That's why China's flexing its muscles militarily. It, it, and so, I mean, why in God's name would America be helping a war in the Ukraine if anything, they should be united with Russia to line up against China. Right? That's right. Well, because I think the our deep state and our bad actors 
are all out of Ukraine and they're protecting their own interests. There's a lot of, there's a lot of bad guys here that also had a base of operations in Ukraine and they are controlling what we got right now. But I, you know, we have we have organizations like the LaRouche Pack who are well-meaning, who are saying China's actually trying to do good things and all these things. Are they naive? No, no, it isn't naive. Uh, don't forget, China has between two and two and a half million full-time Internet hackers putting out pro-China propaganda all over the Internet, saying there's, there's these Chinese white hats, the Dragon family, and they're really helping you know, it's the classic misinformation of saying black is white to confuse and divide your enemy. Hitler did it brilliantly. Hitler divided, uh, you know, his enemy psychologically mo- long before they ever attacked him and got them to defeat each other, like China's doing right now. So I wouldn't trust any of that stuff. You've got to look at the hard facts of what's going on. Look at the West Coast, uh, and which I, I want to talk about because we've got more information now about what's going on in Prince Rupert. Well, and that I wanted to, and I, I want to say yeah. that I've gotten intel as well that there is a lot of military action. There's a lot of stuff going on that are is being covered up that people do not realize, and it makes me worried. After I want you to talk about what's happening and what you've come, but I also want to talk about are are people in bed with China? I mean, is that what's happening? Yeah, I mean, it's there's factions in anything, right? But uh, yes. Uh, American politicians on both sides of the aisle are certainly on the Chinese payroll. Why would they be not ever talking about the Chinese threat? I mean, the whole thing about the the spy balloon, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just so all China does. They're they're not idiots. Why did America lose in Vietnam? Because they didn't read Sun Tzu in the Art of War, which the Chinese and the Viet Cong did, right? And that is, you you literally fly test balloons to see how your enemy reacts. And then they watch the enemy and, and monitor. It was just a way to monitor American intel and military response or lack of it, right? So, I mean, no one's talking about that. What makes us, we're a bunch of clowns. I mean, we're well, just we, clowns. Yeah. It just, how can we be this incompetent? What is well, going on? Because like you say, the baby boomers, the, the American military and political and, and financial elites, they're all out of the European tradition of, you know, the Napoleonic way of fighting is you just go bang, you know? You send in your columns and you're overwhelmed with your air force like they did in Iraq. And You mean, are, are we watching the, the, you know, when we watch the Civil War where they all wind up and marched versus the guerrilla warfare? I mean, are we lining up and marching? Is that oh, the yeah. stupidity it, of see, it? That's, that's the only model they've ever had known, and China encourages that. They know that, like, in the whole yin and yang tradition, you never attack an enemy friendly. You divide and conquer them. You get them to attack each other, and then... You know, like Sun Tzu says, the supreme order of war is to defeat an enemy without ever fighting them. That's something Americans don't understand. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, We're going to go crushing with our air force. <laughs> there were just well, I I always used to say when I co- I coached for a long time, I coached soccer and hockey and everything else. And in soccer, it was more obvious where they would the, the American mindset was exactly that: the kids were just go score, go do, and the good players that knew how to play. It was mostly, it came out of uh, South America, you know, in Brazil and stuff. And now the European model has taken it on, but it's about passing and, and strategy and all these other things. And when you're young or when you're, you have great athletes and the other people are, are just not athletes that they, they can win that way. But as soon as you get good athletes that play strategically, 
you get demo- you get creamed. I'm talking big time creamed because that always wins out. And so it reminds me of that. But I guess the better analogy is the Civil War marching and just getting shot as you're marching forward. Well, they were using because in the Civil War, both Confederate and Union generals were taught at West Point the Napoleonic tactics, which is use big columns to go in and crush your enemy. And um, that didn't work. Look what happened when they tried that in World War One. That's why millions of soldiers were wiped out because, hey, the technology had changed. You got machine guns now instead of muskets. So if you try that, you're all dead. Like the Battle <laughs> of the Slum, right? Like, they don't adapt. They don't come into the modern times. And, you know, talking about strategy, why do you think a few dozen of us forced Canada to admit genocide? Because we went after the churches, the weak link. We went in on Sunday morning. We threatened the collection plates. And they panicked. Right. So, I mean, you got to hit where the enemy is weak, not where they're, where they're strong. Right. Well, uh, before we get into Rupert, because I want you to talk about that. Yeah. Canada has this eugenesis program now where they're euthanizing. Uh, it couldn't be more clear that they're bringing in this communist agenda and it's Nazi. It's technocracy. It's eugenesis. Yeah. It's they're allowing people who are poor or old or depressed to kill themselves. Right. And what is going on in Canada? Well, it's always been that way. I mean, Canada has been the testing ground. It it wasn't just all the Nazis they brought into Canada after the war. It's part of Project Paperclip. They've been actively using that whole vast area in the north as testing grounds for all of these things. And in fact, that thing happening in Prince Rupert, what we found out is that they're right in that area of northwest British Columbia, there being two military-run, Chinese military-run hospitals. So these are Chinese soldiers guarding these hospitals, and they're doing uh, bioweaponry experimentation on the human brain using Native people who have been yeah, kidnapped, the all the disappeared wrong. Native people. I used to see this working on the streets in Vancouver. Native people would just vanish. And uh, like William Coombs being killed in St. Paul's Hospital. That's another experimental center, Catholic run. They use what one crude word for it is technoformation. You know, you you uh, interface human brain neurons with a computer technology, and they become literally cybernetic soldiers who who can't see, they can't think without computer guidance. They become an extension of the machine. That's the purpose of the microchipping and the vaccines and all that. It's all experimental. They're doing that actively now. They're creating this new generation of cyber warriors, the Chinese, right in these hospitals in Northwest Columbia. Yep. It's happening as we speak. And how many people have they put into that program? Do you know? Do you have spies in there that can tell us? There's, Go ahead. Well, there's a guy, Merv Ritchie. He was a journalist in Terrace, British Columbia, which is there's a thing called the Highway of Tears where all yes. a lot of Native families go missing all the time between Prince Rupert on the coast the superport owned by the Chinese, and Prince George, that highway in the Northwest, he worked there and he had to flee for his life because he found out that on average in a year, something like 1,500 Native people would just vanish up there. He had it counted. And, um, you know, then he had to get out of there. He's living actually out of the country now because of the death attempts on him. Um, But, you know, he, he... turned us on to people who were the eyewitnesses on the ground, like we did in the residential school genocide. We just got the eyewitnesses talking and they, you know, they've talked about their relatives who work in these places, um, people who come out of it, native people who are literal robots, they're controlled. Um, You know, this is like something 
uh, Orwellian, but it, 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 they're using the, the, like Canada is so big, it's, it, it's a, you're able to do these experiments and nobody ever learns about it, especially with the Trudeau government in bed with China to the extent that it is. So, I mean, that's one example of, of what's going on, right? Well, the Chinese ha- would have no problem with taking people and, and doing it from the time they were children. I mean, watched how they killed, their, you know, the one-child policy that they had, and there were lots of stories of how they would let child, children just die or kill them because they were, weren't, they were the second child, you know, or whatever. And it, it, they just don't respect life, and that's the, the problem. But we also have that happening in California. The new law of the land is to allow children after 28 days to be killed. So they're trying to do this roundabout way. That's a law of the land right now. I have a um, pro-life person who's coming on. It's one of my next shows to talk about this stuff. But it's legal now. It's a law there that after 28, up to 28 days, you can kill your baby. You can't, no questions. They cannot be. So they've come up with a way around to say this, that child's not human anymore. And it doesn't, it's not a U.S. citizen because the moment it's born, it's a human being and it's a U.S. citizen, but they're still doing it. It's, it's beyond. They, they don't have respect for life or human being. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, that's the, the, in genocide, the first thing you do is you not only estrange people from who they are, you know, but you, you say that you only have uh, value if we say you do. And that, that's an old system going back thousands of years to Rome, you know, uh, in the Roman system. And, and you still see this in Vatican laws, women and children don't exist. They're just non-beings. Okay. But they can come into existence if, for example, in traditionally in Europe, if you got baptized a Catholic, you could become enslaved. That's what they said to native people over here. Once you become baptized, we can't kill you. We can enslave you, and that's the best you can hope for. But if you're not baptized, open season. You know, like that Junipero Serra, the Franciscan uh, missionary who Bergoglio just, you know, beatified into a saint applauding him for killing 100,000 natives because they weren't Catholics. I mean, the mentality never changes. It's it's genocide, and we're seeing it played out in a new way right now, right? Same. We are, and they know that the people won't accept that to that level, so they're doing it by in their own in different ways right. to convince people uh, in these nonsensical ways, but they really are good at triggering emotion and making people feel that they're doing things that's better for you. It's bringing more freedom. We care about you. But in reality, they're just killing you. I mean, they're trying to get you to destroy yourself. Well, you know, on a, on a positive note here, don't forget, like I mentioned earlier, the system is increasingly fragile because it's so centralized that there's no more diversity. Like, you know, in nature, the more diverse an ecosystem, the better that's right. of survival. So with human society. The more concentrated the wealth and the fewer the options, the more unstable it is. That's why they need to repress people more. It's like a pressure cooker, more and more and more. Eventually, the pressure explodes, and they know that. And so they need everyone so controlled and lobotomized and and cyber (laughs) turned into cyber organisms that they won't have to worry about revolt anymore. But it's it's a a race against time in a way for people to, to recognize, because they're vulnerable, all the more reason to act. Like we proved it in Canada, you know, with... And, 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 you know, forcing Bergoglio out of office, or uh, Ratzinger, Bergoglio's next. Ratzinger, 10 years ago, tomorrow, 
forced by a citizen's movement, common law court movement, out of office and three other cardinals with him. That should be a sign of hope for people. We can strike where they're weak and they will fall. They will pull back. That's our experience all the time, right? It should be a sign of hope. And, you know, Michelle White Dove, who we lost, bless her soul, in December, she said, she's somebody that was so accurate at analyzing what was happening. She She's a, uh, a psychic or a prophet or whatever you want to say, but she was so accurate. She said that the systems are going to collapse one by one and they're all collapsing and that that's going to happen in, you know, in the next few years. But also Cliff High, who is, um, he's very entertaining, but he has this this way to analyze the emotional levels through me, social media, figuring out words that people are using. He's been doing this for like three decades. He says the emotional tension is as highest it's ever been like off the charts right now. And I think that's what you're talking about, the pressure cooker. And that's the evidence of that. And it's happening right now. And everything is just going to collapse. And it is a race against time. They're trying to control us mentally and physically, you know, the whole physical thing with the implants. And then, which is just crazy. I can't even believe we're talking about implants and physical things that they're doing, but they are before the rest of us, take over and say enough of this we unite and and say this is enough enough we're taking we're going to be the adults in the room and we're taking this back well you know we mentioned sun tzu and yin yang and in the art of war he says there are no enemies uh we create our enemy and the purpose is not to crush an enemy but to absorb them into a new greater whole okay so in other words we're all in a group psychosis here. We've collectively created a problem. And it's not a matter of fighting each other and making it worse. It's a matter of owning it and saying, okay, now we're going to shift it in a different direction. Take the energy and redirect it. That's, That's right. the, the, the dance you do in, in, in genuine warfare is you redirect the enemy. You don't crush them. You redirect them along the path you want. And um, we can do that now once we own the fact and instead of getting into the projection of our shadow all the time that they're the problem. If only we defeat them, we'll be saved. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's slave thinking, right? It It is. And we have to absorb it. Like I was saying, people keep blaming. They, they like to use the word Jewish per people are responsible. I like to call them the Kazarian mafia. Cause I think Jewish people, true Jewish people are, are victims just like the rest of us. Um, the Kazarians are are a group of known criminals that like world domination. But but I say, well, we're not, there aren't the ones forcing us to help with all this trafficking that's going on at the border. They're not the ones doing it. They're not the, the specific doctors that were putting the jabs in people's arms. It was us. We have to say, no, this is this is us. We need to own the fact that we have been contributing to this and not man acting like adults and managing our own environment. Right. Here, I want to share something uh, along exactly those lines, uh, how we won. Okay. I got that. There's a picture of us. We're protesting outside the church we occupied. The guy in the middle is Jerry Capilano. He's the traditional Squamish chief in Vancouver. He evicted all these churches from Vancouver. And then he filed this thing in the B.C. Supreme Court. It's a notice of appointment that gave me the power of legal entry into these churches. He said, I've evicted these churches because of their genocide. Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice, can now go in and legally evict these people. That was in 2008. Every time the cops showed up, we showed them the legal order. They always backed off. That's why we were able to do the occupations. That's why we were able to force the 
pseudo apology and do all these things because the law was on our side. So we don't realize that we have that lawful power. And once you get that, the light goes on and people go, oh, well, then the cops have to be on our side because we're standing on the law. They're not. Right. That's right. I mean, that's one example of, but, but we, we need the examples fresh in our mind to, to let people know that it does work and um, we're the only impediment. It's, you know, look in the mirror if you really want to see the enemy, <laughs> you know, it's... Um, it takes courage, but people are afraid yeah. that the, what you put in place isn't, isn't the right law. Like it's a bunch of goofballs putting something in place and they're not going to recognize it anyways. Well, so how the, do we... Go ahead. That's the adversary speaking through them. You know, they open the mouth and the adversary speaks. They want us to think, well, nothing is legitimate unless the people in power say it is. That's what I get all the time from people, right? You know, the criminals who committed genocide have to give you permission to prosecute them for their own genocide. That's the convoluted childlike thinking people are in. But no, you're sovereign. You can, the law is in the hands of the people. By God, I don't care you created some BS law. You are murdering people. God gave me the right to say that because you're a murderer, I can stop this. Right. And, and it was a U.S. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, statute without consent is not law. doesn't matter what statute the government brings in. If you don't consent to it and you're not harming anybody, there's no authority over you. Yeah, well, people need to understand that and get their courage and confidence to say, okay, this is, we know what's right. We need to move forward. So where do you think we're at with China coming in and just saying, okay, we're taking over now? Uh, they don't need to do it militarily. They don't want to militarily. Um, it might come to that, but the way they operate is they, they own the country financially. They they work through their puppets. They get America and Russia to destroy each other. They'll just sit back and, and do what they're doing. They'll they'll provoke now and then to get America all paranoid, like they'll do military maneuvers or send over spy things and then test the responses. But, I mean, it's... Um, they, when you already own a place, you don't need to send in your troops. As a matter of fact, that just breeds opposition when you do that. So I don't think it'll be Chinese soldiers on the streets, except in areas where they need the resources, like British Columbia, which is pretty much a Chinese fief now, right? So, but they'll just use our soldiers to do their bidding. So it will be done through us thinking that it's us when it's really them. Now, how many of, do we have any pro-America people still left that have authority and power i mean obviously joe biden is completely compromised i mean he's just everything he says is a lie i mean how do you have trudeau up there who's completely compromised so where are you know our military leaders and people who aren't compromised i mean how do we change that out there are people all through the system who don't like it, but where ultimately is their loyalty? I mean, unless there's an alternative, and this is our whole message in the Republic, you've got to build the alternative and offer it to people, and then they'll switch sides. But most people aren't going to do that until it's a viable alternative, right? That's and right. they're not going to go to the wall over an idea. Although in the American Revolution, that's exactly what people did. But there was well, because it got too bad. It got well, it, also, it, it, go ahead. People owned their own farms. Don't forget who they were back then. Nine percent Americans lived on their own farm. They needed their arms to eat every day, right? They had to defend. They already had an, an experience of freedom, and they wanted to defend it. How many Americans have an experience of freedom now? They what don't even know what into? it is. They don't right? even know what it is no. anymore. No, 
They have no idea what freedom means. And they, and they're kind of like adult children. That's what we have is a lot of children. Right. No, I and they, they just have no idea how to not be, how to be an adult and be independent. Well, and also to take responsibility for your own choices. You know, like, that's like, right. you know, sometimes at night I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, I don't have my kids anymore and they don't really call me that much. And, you know, uh, I don't have a lot of friends and I'm tempted to feel sore for myself and then say, wait a minute, those are the results of decisions I made, which I would never change. So you got to live, have the maturity to live with the consequences of what you've chosen to do in life, right? And then you, you stop all the energy wasted, pointing fingers and the blame game, right? It just, what do I have to do next to stay true to who I am and what we need to do, right? And then all your energy can go into building that and not self-absorbed self-destruction, right? Well, and it's hard. Us freedom fighters are people on the front line. It's hard to not sometimes be... Um down down because oh, yeah. we feel alone we yeah. i'm censored like you couldn't believe and you're like well how come people i used to be really po- you know people used to really seek me out and so and i don't have that same level i i mean i am pretty viewed I, but i don't have the same level of support i used to have and that's because the censorship is really bad and so you kind of there are times where it's it's easy to be um sad you know to be but then i'm i can rise above that and say you know i know why this is happening i can't let this get me down and that just means i need to keep fighting even more so well and you know when i when i lost my children and uh i didn't have a car i was broke i was blacklisted you know what i do on sunday nights after i drop them off their moms and i was in grief because i'm not only what we're all going through but to know they were, she was in, my children were in the hands of a, an abused, um, you know, she tyrannical woman. Yeah. It's like I was, it was the worst pain I ever had. But what I did, I, I got on a bus and I just drive around. I'd just be with people. I'd go to the downtown east side and, and that's why this movement became so much for me personally because it was my way of not going crazy. I'd say, okay, then I've got to go have an impact somewhere else. I may have lost my children, but there are a lot of other children suffering. And these people as children were tortured and we got to do something about this. And so it gave my life a focus, um, you know, that, that you don't find if you're absorbed in your own pain. And, and, and it does seem like there's no way out, right? What well, doesn't, I think a lot of the, like I was saying, a lot of us go through that. And I think a lot of people are, are going through that now with the COVID jab and the injuries yeah. and a lot of people who are dying. And so uh, they, they, they are in grief and they don't know what to do. And, right. and I think that, I think what you're saying can help a lot of people in that way. There are things that you can do to help others. Cause a lot of us are going through the same grief because we're experiencing the same stuff. Well, Grief is a stage of dying, dying an old system, but then after grief comes acceptance and recognition that there's a new life possible. Nothing ever stops, you know. Um, we, I don't know if you've read a book, and I recommend this book to people, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And he was a survivor of the death camps in Europe. And okay. he said he watched the people who survived, and the ones who persisted in the face of all this torture and death around them, were not because they were better fed or anything, but be, they it, or you know or had the support of the guards or whoever. It's because they had one of three characteristics: they were devoted to somebody like a great love, they had a creative project to do every day, or they were committed to a cause 
greater than themselves, like they were part of the camp underground resistance. In other words, all three of those things, you're living for something outside yourself, something greater. And as men and women, we're meant to be that. We're meant to live for something greater. Um, That's right. And, and that we will leave behind us when we're gone, right? That's what gives us life and the confidence to carry on every day, not think just living for yourself. And that's the tragedy of a uh, culture like America where it's so narcissistic and consumeristic. All you're ever taught to think of is the only meaning in life is to stuff your faith, right? Well, what's the point of that, right? You've got to live for something more than that. And that's the excitement of living for a revived America, joining hands to create that. That, that gives us a meaning and purpose every day, right? That's right. It really does. Like there's nothing more that I would want to do other than keeping my family safe and loving them. But yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. It's something greater than me. And and I think that's what people need to realize. And so you're always so inspirational when you come on, where can people help support you or do or learn more so they can, they can do the actions that you're doing as well. Yes. Like I say, I'm not the organizer. I'm a catalyst. You guys go to organize yourselves. But um, murderbydecree.com, republicofkanata.org, uh, and write to me, angelfire101 at protonmail.com, um, and my Sunday show, 6 p.m. Eastern time on Sundays, bbsradio.com slash who we stand. I got to go on there one of the times and talk about United for Free Speech and some of the other things I have Why going don't you on. come on? I'd love to yeah. go on your program. So Let's do it in I- March. Okay, I, I, I'd love to do it. So thank you so much. I love talking to you. My audience loves you. And just thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks to everyone. I'll talk to you soon.